Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. He was there. He was in Minnesota where the Cardinals once again put themselves in position to win a game and once again took themselves out of position to win a game. Turnovers, penalties, just too many mistakes. Costly mistakes. We get into it all. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 609, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. By the way, Paul, excellent costume. You and I both going as professional broadcasters because that's what we do here on Cardinals Cover 2. You know what? You know what I'm going as? And this takes a little little creativity, or maybe it doesn't. Uh, I'm going as a bad mood Monday after a loss. That's my costume. And, uh, and, and, and as a result, Gree, I'm just telling you right now, I refuse to acknowledge anybody's costume in this building. I don't care how outlandish or outrageous your costume is here on Halloween Monday. I'm going to walk right past you like it was 364 other days of the year. I'm going to nod. I'm going to say, how's it going? How's your day? Good to see you. And I'm going to keep going. I don't care if you're dressed up as a banana. I don't care if you're dressed up as Chewbacca. I mean, I've seen anything and everything, and I haven't reacted once. So I got my game face on on this Monday. So you're just looking right past everyone. Right. I don't care what kind of costume you're rocking, how much time you put into it, how much you spend at the costume store to rent it for 24 hours. I refuse to acknowledge it. We got bigger problems around here. I have often wondered what it would be like to be you and be in your shoes for a day or so. And then there's games like Sunday in Minnesota where I do not envy what you do, especially in that locker room, because just the... Not the questions, the answers, the responses. And then I read Darren Urban's lead on his game store. And you tell me if this is accurate because you're in the locker room. I am not. Okay, lay it on me. This is his one-sentence lead to the Cardinals' 34-26 loss at the Vikings. The frustration was apparent. From the muted voices post-game to players declining interviews to the expletives flying through the walls as players got into the locker room. Yeah, that's not totally unheard of, though. Guys yelling stuff before the media is allowed in. You can imagine the sort of raw emotion that is involved in the warrior sport that is football. So yeah, it's very hard just to turn it off immediately after four quarters of savagery out on that field, especially in a close one-score loss and the way it ended in the manner it did, and especially when a team feels like it is giving the other team too many chances that you're beating yourself before you're getting beat. So, yeah, the frustration was palpable. It it was visceral. It was like after that Eagles game. You know, I think we're going to see on hard knocks coming out just – what it was like in that locker room after the game. And among those who spoke was team captain Buda Baker after that Eagles game at home. And it was very passionate, very emotional. A couple guys have cited that. So I'm not exactly sure who might have spoken up at Minnesota, but there's no doubt. And then we're doing the post-game radio interviews, and it's literally 20 seconds after they break (laughs) the team discussion with the head coach Cliff Kingsbury. So, yeah, you can imagine. Guys are – they're walking over there, and you can always see in their minds, they're rewinding the game. 
you know, they're talking to you. They're answering the questions. They're being professional, and we appreciate their time. But they're also still in the moment. They're reflecting, what could I have done better? What just happened? Why did we just end up with an L? And so the whole thing. And then, of course, the Patrick Peterson thing at the end. So the whole sideline experience was surreal at Minnesota, although the outcome was predictable. Cardinals have not won there since 1977. And more of the same from what we've seen in the previous four losses this season. Just the amount of, as Kyler Murray talked about, self-inflicted mistakes, whether it's the penalties, the turnovers, a premature snap. Too many many things went wrong for the Cardinals to win that game. Yet at the same time, fourth quarter, you're within one score with an opportunity and several different opportunities – but cannot close the deal. And this Cardinals team, again, 3-5 and five, and looking up at everyone in the division. Yes, the defending Super Bowl champions have the same number of wins, but it's it's how this 3-5 and five record looks, not comparing it to the rest of the division or the rest of the conference. It just hasn't looked great at times, certainly, but not enough times this season. In the NFL, little things are big things. And big things are game changers. So you had this pattern of the Cardinals failing on some of the little things. But you also had the three turnovers, which were enormous. Something you – I do believe the Cardinals were tied for the fewest turnovers in the NFL going into the game. They had five going into week eight, which marked the second – tied for the second fewest in the league. Second fewest. So – and when I asked Cliff Kingsbury about that right after the game, he immediately cut to the chase said, yeah, that was the difference ultimately – were the turnovers. And here's the thing. You could look at Minnesota as an example of that. Minnesota had a lot of talent back in 2021, a year ago. But you realize they lost eight games by eight points or fewer. All their wins this year, including five in a row, have been within that margin, including their win against the Cardinals 34-26. So if you can do the little things right in the NFL, it is a big thing. It is a big deal. Just because you're close on the scoreboard doesn't mean you're close to being a winning team. And that's where the Cardinals have to address it. That's what has to change to me. Even Kirk Cousins, you want to quote, I'll match your Kyler quote with this Kirk Cousins quote after the game. He said, you've just got to keep earning your way. The difference between 6-1 and one and 1-6 one and six is pretty thin. And that's absolutely correct in, in the NFL. History will show that. And, and, and Gree, we've talked about this on cover too. And, and it's probably the most vexing thing to me and maybe the most concerning thing to me about this team is that different players at different times take their turns making different mistakes. So it's very hard to diagnose. It's whack-a-mole. And in any sport, any team that is a losing team, that's usually the case. It's different guys making different mistakes, taking their turn to make their one single mistake that costs you at a different time in a game. Whereas a winning team, you have different heroes at different times, different guys coming through to make that clutch play, that decisive moment in a game from a different guy at different times. And to me, that's the hallmark of a winning or a losing team. As you've said often here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, those mistakes are correctable easily correctable but then new mistakes happen with different players to your point the whack-a-mole theory someone different whether it's each series each quarter each week and that's the concerning part because there is no question there is enough talent on this football team offense defense and special teams to be much better than three and five 
Yet, as Zach Ertz pointed out earlier in the week prior to the game at Minnesota, he talked about the sum not being greater than the parts. And he's exactly right because the talent, individual talent on this team is phenomenal. Now, what happens when that talent cannot do it by themselves and you need all 22 players, starters on offense, starters on defense, it can't be just one person. As much as DeAndre Hopkins almost willed that team on Sunday to a victory or at least a game-tying touchdown, you come up short and we're left with these questions. And each week it's the same questions, just different scenarios or different players with the same scenarios. So Zach Ertz had that comment last week. A week before that, two weeks ago, Vance Joseph made a comment in particular about the young guys that what they have to learn about the NFL is that the process of winning is harder than winning on Sundays, which I found very intriguing. Anybody can show up on game day and bring the intensity, right, and the moxie. And, but wait a minute, are you ready to go on Sunday? Are you polished and air-free on Sunday? Because that starts during the practice week. Once again, Vance Joseph, the process of winning is harder than winning itself on Sunday. So what is that saying? Is he sending a message? Is that his diagnosis of what's wrong with his team? Because after the game, it was Rondell Moore who mentioned that moments earlier before they opened the the door uh, for the media to come in, that Cliff Kingsbury's message and some of the team leaders had noted that the sense of urgency has to be better. Not on Sunday, but during the week leading up to the game day. So why are we getting all these mistakes in Cardinals games, self-inflicted errors and wounds? Well, a lot of that, apparently, we can only surmise, comes from the week of preparation leading into it. So, And what did Cliff Kingsbury say after the Kansas City loss to start the season? That the practice habits yes. have to be better. Are they where they need to be right now? Because at 3-5, and five, it says otherwise. Well, practice habits, are they not practicing enough? Fans are going to gravitate to that. There is a closed walkthrough this week heading into the game against the Seahawks. And then you look at the injury report going into the Vikings game. Cardinals had nine different players with injury designations. The Vikings had just one. Wow. And I mean, you were missing the whole left side of your offensive line. And you can't minimize when you're without, as Cliff Kingsbury said after the game, three Pro Bowl caliber players left to right, DJ Humphreys, Justin Pugh, Rodney Hudson. You're not getting Pugh back. Rodney Hudson, nobody knows what his future. Uh, DJ Humphreys, you can only hope and pray that's a short-term thing. But when you're going Josh Jones, Cody Ford, Billy Price, and obviously each one of those guys took their turns struggling during that, especially against that Vikings defensive front. Are you kidding me? And they're bringing Zadarius Smith on some of those TE games, straight up the A and B gaps. That was a great game plan by Ed Donatel. They were missing Dalvin Tomlinson for a good part of the second half. Uh, so, you know, otherwise it, it, it could have been worse. But that, that's, that's something that has afflicted the Cardinals right now. Why all the injuries? Don't know. Is it bad luck? Does it go beyond that? I also wonder, you want to zoom out here, Craig, thanks for asking, uh, if this team has been waiting for this moment. Midway through the season, it's now November, you're getting three division games in a row. So win or lose in Minnesota, guess what? This stretch in the next three games will decide your future. So with that in mind, is this where we finally see this team flipping the switch? Because to some degree, and this is only a gut feeling, this is merely an observation, nobody has told me this, this team decided after last year and the year before 
We get nothing for being a winning team in September and October. you got to play your best ball late. And with that in mind, uh, is Cliff Kingsbury finally going to get everyone's best effort and best focus starting now with Seattle coming into town? That's that. I only wonder about that because, great, the New York Giants this year were 6-1. and one. What does that get you? Nothing. And this team learned that the hard way. Here's the thing. If they've been biding their time and trying to stay healthy, well, they're anything but in a lot of areas. That That's the problem. If you were like the Vikings and you had one guy on the injury report and everyone else was available and at your disposal, then, then that would be one thing. But at this point, you're missing a lot of talent. When you're missing your number one running back, and you know, I think Eno Benjamin was exposed a little bit as more of a backup caliber running back against that Vikings defense. When you're missing a Hollywood Brown Obviously, just his chemistry with Kyler and Robbie Anderson that just doesn't exist. And A.J. Green, let's be frank, it's never existed, that chemistry with Kyler. So when you're missing those sort of guys, uh, yeah, it, it took a toll on the Cardinals offense. Kyler Murray postgame, I thought, summed it up what you were talking about as far as these three games, this three-game stretch. You got the Seahawks in town. You travel to the Rams. You play the 49ers in Mexico City. Quote, everything is right in front of us. We'll be better, end quote. And you have to believe that, yet what have we seen that leads us, fans and media alike, to believe that this team is capable of winning these three games or two of the next three to put yourself back in the playoff picture? You're not in that picture right now. You're not even in focus. You're so far out of the picture, you can't even be uh, discussed as far as being a playoff contender. But this is a huge three-game stretch. You referenced Hard Knocks. They are in town here on this October 31st, Halloween night. Halloween day. This is when Hard Knocks really puts forth their best effort because a week from Wednesday, November 9th, the season debut of Hard Knocks in season, and it focuses on the Seahawks game. So now there are cameras, much more cameras on the field, in the meeting rooms. I'm curious now if that is what flips the script, if you will, i.e. it happened with the Indianapolis Colts a year ago, although week 18 they fell apart to the Jaguars and didn't make the playoffs. But that's where they kind of – their season turned is when the Hard Knocks cameras arrived. Is it the same this season for the Cardinals? That's a great point. I mean, it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose and have it chronicled on Hard Knocks for all to see. So the game they're going to primarily focus on will be this latest game, which will be Seattle at home. It's another reason why if you've been thinking that, okay, the Cardinals have been biding their time, well, now is the time. Not only this stretch of three division games in a row, not only the fact you're two games below 500, but guess what? You're on camera. And and once again, you want to go back to when this was announced in the offseason. And I said it right away. I was actually on the air with Luke Lipinski when the announcement was made, and my initial reaction was, that's not a football decision. Or, I'm sorry. That's not a content or entertainment decision. That is a football decision. That's part of this theme of the offseason, trying to bring more accountability to that locker room. So we'll see if it works. We'll see if it's some sort of catalyst. We'll see if they look different. We'll see if all these self-inflicted errors are minimized, neutralized, eliminated. Because guess what? Now that you're banged up on both sides of the ball, don't think the loss of Rashard Lawrence wasn't big. When you give up six yards of carry, when they come out there and just hammer you between the tackles, when they're getting down in the red zone deep and near the goal line, and they're just running straight up the gut, and running backs are barely getting touched and ending up in the end zone, you, know, you had issues on both sides of the ball. Wolf said repeatedly, 
during the throughout the game, Cardinals are losing the battle at the line of scrimmage. So, okay, how much of that is urgency? Or how much of it is just you're depleted in manpower and don't have the horses? We're, we're going to find out. And, and guess what? Either way, everyone's going to be able to consume this week of preparation and the results on game day. Because my understanding is maybe the first five minutes of hard knocks or so will sort of be a recap yep. of the season. You'll get some of the highlights. You'll you know get some of the great sound bites, some of the moments. It'll be a quick montage. And then all of a sudden, they'll get into this game week that is – in fact, I'm writing this down. I got to ask on Cliff Kingsbury's TV show. I got to ask him about the hard knocks cameras and what exactly that that portends for him all week. Careful, perhaps those cameras will be focused on you and Wolfley as well, as far <laughs> as the behind right. the scenes, Maybe. what goes on oh, during the head coach's show. So, yeah. Yeah, hello. Careful, you're you're now. Well, but not not just you, but all of us. All of us. <laughs> we're all, we're all on camera here. Agree. Make sure you're buttoned up with your Q and A. Make sure all the questions are sound and valid, because if they're not, you might get lampooned on hard knocks. You turn that corner, all of a sudden you see that big camera staring at you in the face. Like, oh, geez. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So keep track how many times we make appearances on hard knocks. Hopefully not very many. And look, they've been on the sidelines during game day yes. for a good month. First of all, they've been out of practice. We've seen them now. To what degree are they going to double down on the manpower? I'm not exactly sure how many more cameras are going to be here effective this week. I guess we're going to find out. But on game day, they've been everywhere. They've had those boom mics and the, you know the fishpole mics, and they're diving into all the meetings on the sideline. And it is interesting because, at least this is my observation, that the players are much more comfortable with it. The coaches are much more comfortable with it. They're much less apt to walk away from those boom mics and try and find some solitude to have a conversation on the sideline. They're just like, all right, these guys. And that's what Hard Knocks wants. That's why they show up early. They want to be – so omnipresent that you don't even notice them anymore. Sort of like white noise, you know, that, that, that air conditioner is kicked on and you don't even notice it anymore. So that's what these guys want so they can get true, real look at what's behind the scenes as opposed to something that's concocted and created for the cameras. Again, November 9th, it is a week from Wednesday. Hard Knocks in-season debuts featuring the Arizona Cardinals, who right now are 3-5 and five, coming off a loss at the Vikings 34-26 what sticks out to you the most when you review and think about what might have been? And we've talked about the three turnovers. I think the turning point – I mean, you can look at a number of different turning points, but you kicked that field goal, although you should have been not kicking a field goal. It should not have been a Matt Prater 34-yard field goal. It should have been a touchdown after the Isaiah Simmons strip sack and recovery, but because – of a bad snap or a premature snap. Billy Price snapping it back to Kyler Murray, who was not ready for the football. In fact, the entire offensive line, not ready for that ball to be snapped. And on third and eight, all yep. of a sudden you you have no play and you have to settle for that field goal, but you pull to within 28-26. And the defense comes down the field, forces a three and out. You're like, all right, we dodged the bullet, get the offense back on the field, and then the muffed punt. And the Vikings take advantage. And K.J. Osborne with a five-yard touchdown catch made it 34-26. Cardinals still had three more opportunities, but another interception, turnover on downs, and then the game ended with back-to-back sacks of Kyler Murray. But that fourth quarter, the defense made enough plays to put the offense in position for the either the go-ahead score or the game-tying score, and the offense once again lets this team down. 
Yep, there's no doubt. That was the turning point of the game. However, there was the 31-yard touchdown drive earlier in the third quarter after the interception by Kyla Murray. Harrison Smith picked that one off. That's the one where Harrison Smith was running back and Patrick Peterson was already barking at the Cardinals' sideline even before the play was dead and the whistle was blown. So there were other moments, no question, but at the time when Greg Dortch muffed the punt and they lost possession – Guess what? Um, Cardinals did have momentum, and the fans weren't nearly as boisterous. And so you had a good thought, and you're figuring, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna have the ability to put together a drive. And it, it, it I tell you though, there are other moments. Great. You asked me what I reflect on. It's, it's AJ Green being a step ahead of Patrick Peterson in the right corner of the end zone, and the ball being a little short. That should have been six. First possession, first offense yep. possession of the yep. game. Should have been six. Six foot four, AJ Green should have had that ball just over the outstretched arm of a Patrick Peterson, and it wasn't. You know, Robbie Anderson, who's twice was behind the defense, and one there was a Pat P pass breakup, and then obviously the interception deep center field. That pass never had a chance. So were there some spectacular throws by Kyler Murray? Absolutely. There were, there were a lot of really good throws, and I think at one point, pretty deep into the game, he had an eighty percent completion percentage. But there's also a lot of uncharacteristic misthrows. The accuracy isn't there. Is that because he was unsettled because of the offensive line and he was getting pressured with some of the backups up front? Yeah, it's also it's also Kirk Cousins running for that touchdown. I mean, you know, that's that's the kind of thing where he's not accounted for. And you speak in a first possessions, you know, 17 yards on that untouched to the pylon pretty much. And so too often Cardinals lost contain uh, on the rush defense. It was uh, inexplicable. I know we have the trade deadline coming up as of this recording. It's, you know, going to be about 24 hours away. Obviously, if there's one thing the Cardinals could use, it would be a dominant edge guy. And I think you see, not only did you see it with a pass rush, I thought you saw it with the rush defense. Too often, Dalvin Cook got outside, Madison got outside, and Cardinals edge defenders got sucked inside. That's inexcusable. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that you just you look at a Vikings team that I think could have been had on defense in so many different ways. But, you know, Jordan Hicks – he led a sound defense, and as for the Cardinals, I didn't hear Zayvon Collins' name called a whole bunch. I don't know what his numbers were in the box score. I don't know how he's going to grade out, but so so many people are making so much about Pat P, and I thought Jordan Hicks and, and Kendricks, those two guys inside – played a really good game and were really problematic for the Cardinals offense. Kendricks, seven tackles, Hicks, six tackles, and his best tackle was the tackle on Eno Benjamin. And, and again, another mistake. You're looking at third and four, and you run a route that leaves you a yard short of the sticks, and then Jordan Hicks makes a great tackle. And to your point about Zayvon Collins, he was did finish in the top five as far as tackles, but just five as opposed to the nine or ten he had had in previous weeks. You, you, you brought up Pat P a couple of different times and I just want to address this because as I mentioned this to someone else earlier on this Halloween this was the second meeting between Patrick Peterson and the Arizona Cardinals this was not the first meeting so if there was this much angst anger and vitriol that he was ready to spout Paul where where was that a year ago at this time. You know why there was nothing a year ago? Because the Vikings lost in week two to the Cardinals last season. He popped off because the Cardinals, he finally bested the Cardinals. And I don't think he was going to wait until a win 
happened under his belt. Because I'm sorry, if if you are that disappointed and hurt, then you bring it up the first time. You don't wait. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, he was he was a totally different player than he was in week two of 2021. And it wasn't just the postgame comments. It, it was how he was yelling expletives, bleep this and bleep that at the Cardinals' sideline. Uh, it, it lasted the entirety of the game. You know, P twice, it stood for perturbed and personal. He, he took whatever it was that he told himself happened very personal. And, you know, I had a chance to talk to him after the game, and it was chronicled by uh, Channel 12 because after he was yelling at me <laughs> – Cam Cox went over with a camera, and uh, he was yelling at me because I was the last guy left on the sideline. And he's like, hey, Paul, where's Steve Kime? Where's Kime? I got something to say. And But to your point, he's had two years to have something to say. So it's interesting how he waited till the Vikings are 6-1 and one and after a win. I get it. Uh, and here's the thing, and we said this. At one point in the second half, I was talking to someone during one of the extended TV timeouts. If he would have had that sort of animosity and that sort of physicality his last couple of years with the Cardinals, he'd still be a Cardinal. You know, this whole thing that, you know, and look, we can we can get into this in any depth of detail you want, but yeah, there was some avoidance of physicality towards the end of Pat P's career. And the problem with that is, and he's not the only one, and it wasn't the only team. But when the highest-paid guy on that side of the ball isn't necessarily willing to go all out, then guess what? That gets contagious. Yes. Other guys say, well, wait a minute. He's getting paid eight figures, and he's not willing to go ahead and stick his shoulder pads in there on an open field tackle? Then guess what? Why am I? And then all of a sudden, this self-preservation for the offseason to make sure you're healthy for the next contract or contract negotiation with maybe the next team, that becomes an epidemic on any team. And um, so, but you didn't see that. You didn't see that here in the game against the Cardinals. He was all in. He had the three passes defense. He had four tackles. He's jawing and cursing at the Cardinals sideline. And I couldn't hear exactly what he was saying, but he was the most animated guy in the field. I didn't see a lot of P2 versus DeAndre Hopkins. And I don't know how often they were lined up opposite one another because if they were, then Pat P didn't really have a good day because DeAndre Hopkins caught nearly everything that was thrown his direction. Yeah, I did not see Pat P one-on-one against DeAndre Hopkins once. Um, now, obviously, you know, they're playing a lot of zones to begin with. You know, he's not traveling anymore and shadowing any receiver for, for the most part, much less uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who looks to be at the top of his game. You know, they had the epic showdown in 2017 at Houston, and that was something to behold. Yeah. Pat P in his prime against DeAndre Hopkins, and that was hand-to-hand, man-to-man combat there for the entirety of four quarters. That was that was an epic battle. But that was not the case in this game, and that's not how the Vikings really run their defense. And guess what? They're doing what's best suited for them. They don't have that elite cover corner anymore. So they're going with, with – the zone covers and it sort of you know if you want to zoom out to the entire league right now that seems to be the case Craig I mean if you can how do I say this are elite corners as valuable as they used to be meaning if you can just go with a cover two shell and zone coverages and then let your front seven eat let your front four for example, dial those guys up if you have a Zadarius Smith and a Daniil Hunter Dalvin Tomlinson Guess what? You can get away with playing some of those soft zones, two high safeties. Harrison Smith, who's lost his step but is still effective just through his instincts and know-how from all those years. 
And that's exactly what the Cardinals don't have. I mean, I think we'd all agree the corners have been much better than we thought going into training camp. But they don't have those edge guys. They don't have those game records. Now, J.J. Watt, Zach Allen, sure. But those guys are a rotation. And so now when those guys are not in the game, there's a pretty serious drop-off for that Cardinals defensive front. And where's where are the game records off the edge? So with that in mind, again, you know, once again, we're 24 hours removed from the trade deadline, but if the Cardinals went out and if the asking price for Bradley Chubb was a first-round pick, I would not be shocked. Adam Schefter did report Sunday morning that there was at least one team willing to give up a first-round pick and maybe even more. Didn't name wow. the team. Didn't name the team, but guess what? If that team was the Arizona Cardinals, whose defensive coordinator happens to be Bradley Chubb's former head coach with Denver, would you be shocked? No. Not at all. But it would – I don't know if this team is that one player away. Edge rusher, corner, offensive lineman, whatever it may be, they already made the trade for Robbie Anderson. But is this team that one piece away? That would be my only – that would be my only yeah. concern, how much you're giving up, and then is it a long-term or is it just a short-term for the next nine games? I agree with you on that. They're not one player away. However, they do need that player at that position True. long-term. How are you going to get that player? All right. you know, Is he going to be there when you draft in the first round? You know, you have something the rest of the division does not, a first-round pick, although Seattle Seattle just went and fleeced Denver with the Russell Wilson trade, so I guess i got to amend that. It's really the Niners and Rams who don't have first-round picks. But if you were to trade for a Bradley Chubb, it would be mandated you would have to get him under a long-term deal. He's up after the end of this season. Is it going to cost you a lot of money? Sure, but you just had $20 million a year allocated to Chandler Jones. You had that under your cap once upon a time, and I think you're realizing just how valuable that guy is in his prime. Not the current iteration of Chandler Jones, who has half a sack this year, and the Cardinals were very well served not to invest in him long term. Uh, I think the the Raiders were dead last as a team in sacks going into Week 8. That's quite an indictment on that offseason signing of a Chandler Jones. We all love Chan, but he's just not that same player. Bradley Chubb, who basically is at the same point in his career and age as a Chandler Jones was when he came over from New England. So there's precedent for that sort of trade. When Chandler Jones, Cardinals gave up a second and Jonathan Cooper. Yep. That was a steal by Steve Geim. Absolute fleecing in New England. So once again, all those factors, you know, what the Cardinals need, what they have in their staff and Vance Joseph. So they have intel. They would feel comfortable if they did trade for him, and it was a double thumbs up from Vance Joseph, plus the precedent of having done it once before and having it been a home run, and then figuring that they're going to have to allocate money under the cap for that position anyway. Yeah, all those factors combined, I could see it happening. Defense for the second straight week, allowing an opponent to score 34 points offensively. Once again, same issues rear their ugly head, and a couple of different points on this one, and you reported it during the broadcast, Kyler Murray wearing a wristband with the plays on it, first time this season and maybe first time in his career, at least that I can remember, never seen that on his non-throwing forearm. Talked about it with the head coach post-game. They're huddling a little bit more, yet despite huddling and trying to throw slow things down, is it also slowing down to where we're once again seeing issues with the play clock and urgency waiting too long timeouts need to be burned you don't have them later in the game that was a consistent theme on cardinal talk because it has happened weekly and fans media all of us were frustrated that we're seeing the same thing week in and week out 
Yeah, and I, and I tried to ask the question in the post-game interview with Cliff Kingsbury on the radio side. I just said it just continues to be a challenge. Yeah, and I didn't know how else to voice it because we've all asked it so many different ways at different times. And he agreed. He immediately readily agreed, yeah, it's still a challenge. It's one of the reasons that, A, they're huddling up a little bit more, trying to improve communication, break that huddle, know exactly what they're going to do. It's why I asked him about the wristband, and he, he associated it with huddling up. I, I surmise because when you're in the huddle, you have time to actually reference yep. the wristband and the laminated play sheet or whatever is attached to that wristband on, on Kyler's non-throwing arm. I think also, and I talked to Billy Price about this going into the Minnesota game, it, it helps the new linemen because when a play is called, they have a moment to say, okay, wait a minute, and maybe confirm an assignment if they need to, as opposed to being up at the line of scrimmage on the road, a very noisy venue. Now you have zero communication with anyone being able to try and confirm or deny what you're supposed to be able to do. So I will say that Cliff Kingsbury did tell us on his TV show starting last week that over the mini-buy, they did a lot of self-scouting, and in his words, and I'm quoting loosely, I think we found something with huddling up is what he said, meaning they he liked it. It tended to calm everyone down a little bit. DeAndre Hopkins was able to talk to guys in the huddle, which was definitely beneficial. A lot of guys cited that. But it didn't seem to have the same sort of impact or benefit that maybe they expected against the Vikings. Was it because of the noise? Because it did get very loud, yet late in the game it wasn't quite as loud because the Cardinals had some momentum on their side yet you on a huddle that's fine but you can't break the huddle with nine eight seven seconds on the play clock you can't by that point you have to burn a timeout so whether it's the call from the sideline or the call from the quarterback to everyone else I don't know what the reasoning is I know what the issue is and the issue hasn't been fixed as of yet through eight games too often on the sideline I can just tell you there's just it's just stressful. You're always, you always have half an eye on the play clock. It shouldn't be that way. It's really sort of akin to preseason when you have the third and fourth string quarterbacks in there and all, you know, you got 90 guys on the roster. Who's in the huddle? Who's supposed to be in the game? That's where things drag. That's where you start pushing the play clock in the preseason a lot. And just because there's, so why is that happening in the middle of the regular season? Yeah, you have some new parts in there, obviously, new offensive linemen, but does it go beyond that? And so uh, no one quite knows. All we know is it's too much of a topic yes. too often. And, 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 and it's played into the demise and the inefficiency of the Cardinals' offense to uh, too much of a degree, obviously, at this point in the season. Cardinals used all three of their second-half timeouts in the fourth quarter and did not have one on that final drive where things, again, got hectic. A minute 52 to go, no timeouts. You started your own 13-yard line with a chance to get the ball in the end zone, go for two, and send the game into overtime. And, again, it, it, it didn't work, and you're always, what's the last image you have? And the last image we have on Sunday is Kyler Murray flat on his back. Yep. Struggling to get up, whether that was because – he got hit hard, or it was just the realization and the frustration that here we are again, we're three and five, and he's got to go address the media. And I'll say this: I thought he handled himself very well post game, taking responsibility for the underthrow to Robbie Anderson that was picked off. He and Zach Ertz miscommunication. They still haven't been on the same page for a consistent basis. And that's what you talked about when we addressed this game on Friday here on Cardinals Cover Two. That perhaps Zach Ertz over the middle would have a huge game and it did not materialize that way. I mean, Zach Ertz um, 
whether he says it or not, I think he had a lot of confidence against Harrison Smith. They've been going against each other since they're, what, Stanford and Notre Dame days. They're, they're pretty much the same age. And then, you know, Zach Ertz against Jordan Hicks. Look, Jordan Hicks' liability yep. has always been in coverage. So Ertz was open. There's no doubt he was open. But, man, Kyler and him just do not connect too often. Balls are behind him. They're off the mark. I, I just – that is one of the things I, I truly – don't understand about their inability. They leave so many yards on the field, Kyler and Zach Ertz, week to week. Uh, that's got to be really frustrating. But Kyler, after the game, he was asked, okay, uh, does this feel like at Seattle when you said things were feeling hard and difficult? And he shut that down immediately. He said, no, we move the ball, just mistakes. That was Kyler's comment. All right, once again, everybody now, it's correctable. But if it hasn't happened yet – what is your optimism level that it's going to happen anytime soon? Instead of being, you know, some sort of, you know, correctable problem, instead this is a pattern. And and, and that's that's where at this point, you, you know, you start to really question what's going on. And, and it's, it's obviously testing the fans' <laughs> buy-in at this point that it's going to be resolved anytime soon. Let's bring this full circle here on Cardinals Cover 2. Too many – tricks not enough treats for the Arizona Cardinals handing to their fan base as we yep. make the Halloween reference once again Cardinals yes three and five does not look good but I'll talk about it all week long and I'm sure you will as well these three games this three game stretch against the NFC West you run the table you win two out of three and all of a sudden you're right back into it it just doesn't feel like this team is capable of doing that based off what we've seen and think of the last time the Cardinals offense went against the Seahawks defense. They were 4-16 on third down. Think about that. Think about how they had zero touchdowns in that game. Uh, on fourth down, they were 1-5. I mean, there's, you, know, you got a Seahawks team coming in that's won six of its last eight in Arizona. They're flying high. They're, they're smelling themselves something fierce right now, the Seahawks. So there should be plenty of motivation. You know, Geno Smith you know, came out and didn't have – the greatest numbers, but guess what? He was very efficient, and Kenneth Walker ripped off another touchdown run yesterday, and obviously he schooled the Cardinals and then 11-yard score in the fourth quarter at Seattle. So, you know, this is this is a situation where, guess what? It is in front of you, but the time is now. You, you, you come out with another loss in the division, home loss. You get swept in the season series by Seattle. Um, I don't care how poor the rest of the NFC is. It's uh, it's a dire situation. And look, if if J.J. Watt can go out there and have that sort of performance, uh, on what you're guessing was a lot of short sleep, being a new dad, <laughs> and he come out with a couple of sacks at his age. I'll tell you a quick little anecdote. I don't know if you heard the very beginning of the pregame show. I came in and I said, just sort of joking with Kyle Vandenbosch and Rob Fredrickson, that if Patrick Peterson can predict a couple interceptions, and guess what? Paulie Pencilneck is predicting a couple of sacks today for J.J. Watt. Well, there's a double ding. Uh, every once in a while we back into it. But here's what happened. It was four hours before kickoff, and I'm sure you've seen some of the social media where J.J. Watt likes to come out way before the game and with a cup of coffee and a man alone in his thoughts with his cup of coffee and sitting on a Gatorade bucket at the 50-yard line on the Cardinals' sideline. He likes to do that on the road in particular, and he'll do it at home sometimes too. Well, as he's walking out into the field, because I was right there, this security guy, the yellow-jacketed security guy, says, oh, no, 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 sorry. Sorry, Mr. Watt. And he, and he said, um, we can't have any beverages on the field. No coffee. 
And J.J., to his credit, smiled, sort of a wry smile, like, come on, really? And the guy's like, yep. So J.J. says, sat there in the tunnel and finished his coffee, then he went out. So let me get this straight. (laughs) On that field, blood, sweat, spit. Jared Allen's horse was running across that field. Not just at halftime, but about 14 times pregame as they're rehearsing that Ring of Honor thing. So you can have all that out of the field, but you can have a J.J. Watt holding a half cup of coffee. I just – I didn't get it at all. And that's why I said before the game, I said, you know what? Uh, last thing you want to do is 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 trigger and torque, torque off J.J. Watt. And sure enough, he made the Vikings pay with a couple of sacks. Too bad it didn't come in a win for J.J.'s sake. Two sacks, three quarterback hits, in addition, two tackles and a couple of tackles for loss as well. So, yeah, you upset J.J. Watt, and uh, he's going to go off. And he did. It's just unfortunate, to your point, uh, it did not happen in a win. And the Cardinals, you know, that would have been a great – Great story, yeah, great little and, you know, anecdote. Like yep. the, 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 what triggered JJ Watt, the yep. Cardinals to win on the yep. road, yet yep. it, it falls short. Yeah, and more importantly, uh, he happened to be wearing some cleats dedicated yes. to his newborn son. So I'm gonna put the whole coffee thing second on the power pole of motivation behind the birth of his firstborn, and and uh, that was cool to see. And uh, I actually got a couple of pictures of that, and he chronicled that on social media as well. And then the whole Jared Allen thing. You want my Jared Allen story, by the way? Go ahead. This was about 15, maybe even almost 20 years ago. Whenever he was playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, I was at a local gym. You know, Paulie Powerlifter. <laughs> Not so much. And I'm in there as one of the uh, local ham and eggers, and there's a guy, really tall dude, looks athletic, not massively muscled, throwing around an absurd amount of weight. I mean, whenever you see an NFL player in a regular gym with regular people, the amount of weight they're throwing around, and I'm like, who is that? And I noticed he had Kansas City Chiefs shorts on, and I said, oh, yeah, Jared Allen, local guy, Arizona guy who at first I thought they were profiling, by the way, because they had him on the horse and they had him on the cowboy hat. And I'm like, come on, is that how Minnesotans think of Arizonans? Everyone's a stinking cowboy on a horse with a cowboy hat. But, you know, obviously that's 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 Jared Allen. Yeah, that was his choice. That was his deal, his theme. He owns some sort of big ranch around here, and he, that's him. He's, he's, he's playing Yellowstone like Kevin Costner, <laughs> except for real. Maybe the Cardinals can play football and, and, and play – for a win coming up on this Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. Love story time with Paul Calvisi. The antidotes that we get here, you're not going to get anywhere else. That's right. We have the uh, you have the forum here for some of the sideline tales that uh, you know we just can't fit into the whole you know TikTok and social media you know uh, time restraints that that go on in the rest of the the platforms. It's a good way to uh, put a ribbon around this edition of Cardinals Cover Two, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Much more on the week ahead and what the Cardinals are facing with the Seahawks in town a little bit later on this week. Special thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Jim Mahondro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.